Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 241 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need from the past week uh, in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So great to have you back on, Matt. It's been quite some time, but it's good to see your face again. I'm pumped. I had so much content, it was hard for me to bring it down to a level that was going to be acceptable for time. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that. It's like uh, the fir- your first item, you had like three or four things in in the in the first one so it's It's gonna be a blitz baby get ready everyone y'all have as always we will quickly review uh the month to date and year-to-date performance of the major market indices that we track this data is from y charts and as of the market close on february 28th s p 500 index up 4.6 percent for the month of february and up 6.3 percent for the year The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 2.1% for the month, up 3.3% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 5.2% for the month and up 6.2% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index up 4.9% for the month and up 0.8% for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF up 2.9% for the month and up 1.2% for the year. Three-month treasury rate at 5.45%, the two-year treasury rate at 4.64%, and the 10-year treasury rate sitting at 4.27%. So yields come back up a little bit, Matt, as you know expectations for uh, the Fed to cut rates keeps getting pushed out. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens on the yield standpoint uh, as the Fed pushes rate cuts out farther and farther. And I've already seen data come out that the average 30-year mortgage is back around 7% um, or getting close to it, uh, which obviously is a, a negative for uh, home buyers or people in the market for new homes. So um, yeah, it just has a lot of little ripples throughout the economy. I have a piece I'm going to talk about uh, the historical pace of interest rate cuts and what that means for risk assets. I think our listeners and viewers are going to eat it up all right, well, I will leave it at that and uh, wait until, to hear until what you have to say on that. But um, big headlines, current events from this week. Congress uh, struck a deal to keep the government funded uh, before Friday, uh, tomorrow, March 1st. Uh, they extended the deadline, uh, long-term deadlines, uh, until March 8th and March 22nd. Uh, the House and the Senate still needs to formally pass this measure prior to Friday, which uh, is expected. Um, kind of a nothing burger for stocks, but definitely something in the media uh, that has been talked about for quite some time. Um, another thing, Matt, which I find uh interesting is uh nancy pelosi is back at it again uh buying calls in uh, palo alto uh ticker symbol is p-a-n-w um and just to get it out there i'm not just picking on nancy i'm picking on nancy because she's the most well known with this yeah yeah she got a lot of notoriety senators and congressmen and women both on Republicans and Democrats, they do this, okay? So I'm not just picking on Nancy, but Nancy is just the most prominent, it seems like, of them. Um, So uh, 1.25 
uh, million in call options uh, that expire in January of 2025 with a $200 strike price. So really quick, options 101. Uh, she bought $1.25 million of call options, which gives her the right to buy Palo Alto stock uh, at some point in the future at $200 per share. Uh, before January 2025 when these things expire. So right now, I think Palo Alto is like 220, 230, Matt. Yep. Um, so she bought... Uh, Paul's on two separate occasions earlier in February prior to their earnings report. And then Palo Alto had a really bad stock reaction to earnings. It was down between 20 and 30% after earnings. And then uh, it skyrocketed rocketed back up seemingly after it was announced that Nancy bought uh, some calls. Um, but uh, the one thing I want to point out is from what I've read, and again, I cannot confirm this. It's just what the word on the street is. So this might be a rumor, um, but this uh, the, the purchases of these call options of Palo Alto uh, was after the fact uh, that Congress was briefed on a major cybersecurity threat uh, to the U.S. over the next six to nine months. Uh, again, can't confirm or deny that that's true. Not true but just interesting in my opinion. I love it. I eat this stuff up like candy. I love hearing about it. I love reading about it. I could go on for a while about this topic, but I think it's great you brought it up. And hey, there's nothing wrong with the public being aware of um, the only people in America that can trade legally on inside information. Yeah, exactly. They put, uh, you know, they put Martha, Martha Stewart away for insider trading. And I think it's no question that what some of the uh, congressmen and women are 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 doing is more egregious than what she did. So, um, yeah. But and again, just uh, to preface this to uh, people who follow this, you know, she's done really well on her NVIDIA calls. Doesn't mean the same thing needs to play out in this situation. There have been times where she's bought stuff and she's lost money on it, right? So it's not a situation where, you know, she's right every single time. Her hit rate is pretty good, but um, we'll just have to wait and see. I'd be interested to see. Her on her on base batting percentage is quite good. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see what these call options are worth, uh, you know, closer towards the end of this year or early next year. So man, I might have to come back to that. Love it. Um, first thing I had, Matt, was a blog post from Ben Carlson on February 11th titled, How Often Do Bear Markets Occur? So it's seemingly every year that everyone or someone is worried about a bear market. And just matter of fact is bear markets tend to not happen super close to each other, right? And I think Ben does a really good job explaining some of the the data behind this so he says there have only been five crashes in the 50 percent or worse range over the past hundred years crashes happen but they're rare it doesn't make sense to spend a hundred percent of your time preparing for something that might happen five percent of the time bear markets and corrections happen far more often than a system-wide panic Plenty of pundits think that we could be setting ourselves up for a bear market right now. Here's the thing, though. We've already experienced two separate bear markets this decade. During the COVID crash, the S&P 500 fell 34%. During the 2022 bear market, the S&P dropped 25%. That was two bear markets in the span of three years, which is pretty rare. Rare. If If we had another bear market in 2024... That would be three in five years. Has that ever happened before? 
the U.S. stock market has experienced a double-digit correction once every year and a half or so in a bear market once every four years on average. We haven't seen back-to-back-to-back bear markets in a really long time, not since the Great Depression. Using history as a guide, you would have to assume the prospect of another bear market coming again in short order would be improbable. The counter to this argument would be that cycles are happening faster and faster these days and because of technology and the speed of information. The least satisfying answer ever is I could see it both ways. So I thought this was really good. It kind of plays into the theme we've talked about, you know, for years on this show, Matt, was that people spend too much time planning for the bad periods in the market where the reality is three out of every four years, the market is up. So, you know, on average, tongue in cheek markets up 75% of the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and we don't spend enough time planning for those good times. We're always just worried about that, you know, that 25% of the time where it's not fun to be an investor. Right. Yep. Um, I do like his point though, that, you know, that cycles are happening faster and faster because of technology and us, you know, having these devices at the tip of our fingers to be able to do pretty much anything we want at any point in time. Um, so that is a consideration. Um, so I'm not saying it can't happen, but I, I do agree with Ben that just looking back at the data, it is quite improbable that we're going to get another 20 to 30 percent flush over the next year or two. I got so many follow-ups to this. I'll try to keep it very brief. Uh, the first is, you know, the my perception um, with the experience and the data I'm seeing is that people are still, for the most part, underinvested to risk assets post-2022. So the proximity of another major sell-off is, is low, in my opinion. The follow-up I have is with the speed of these cycles in, in technology. I see it to a certain extent, but also we do see a lot of similarities with the data with the past. And so maybe the sell-offs and recoveries are quicker, um, but I still see a lot of similarities in the way people behave, even though the information comes quicker. So um, I got other things, but I'll for time savings, this could be, um, I could do a podcast just on this topic. Yeah, maybe we'll do a special uh, special podcast based on based on bear markets, how often they happen, how bad they are, and what typically yeah. follows next. So, and I prefer um, to do it when we're not in one, so people can have some perspective. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, second thing I had was a tweet from Jeremy Schwartz on February twentieth. Uh, Jenna will throw this up for YouTube viewers and in our show notes, but he says with Amazon getting added to the Dow, is this a signpost of 2020 tech inspired changes to the key gauge? Good question. Sa Salesforce was added uh, on August 31st of 2020 to replace ExxonMobil. He said, how did that work out? And there's a chart of ExxonMobil, Salesforce, and the Dow uh, since uh Salesforce replaced Exxon Mobil. And the funny thing here is Exxon Mobil's up like over 200% since this change happened. Uh, Salesforce is only up a measly like 5, 10%. And the Dow's up like a little over 80%. So um, it's pretty common, or at least the last couple major changes we've seen, Matt, in the S&P 500 in terms of holdings moving in and out. Mm -hmm. And for the Dow moving in and out, yeah. Um, 
the companies that get added to these major indices tend to not do so well over the coming years. <laughs> and the companies that get removed, like it, it like marks the bottom, right? And these yes. things just grow, grow like gangbusters. Yes. And this is a perfect example with ExxonMobil is that, you know, in 2020, tech was obviously all the rage. And, you know, the powers that be obviously felt that ExxonMobil no longer represented a large enough or substantial enough portion of our economy. So they took it out. And then Exxon yep. and energy in general went on a, a massive run, obviously, right? Yep. Um, so again, past performance, not indicative of future returns. Do I think Amazon's reign is ending? No, I do not. Um, but just something to uh, be noteworthy. And the company that's coming out this time is uh, Walgreens, which has been a, a serial underperformer Dog. for Dog. five to seven years, if not longer. Um, so it'd be interesting to, to track, you know, Amazon and, and Walgreens going forward to see if uh, this trend is something that continues. I got a hot take. Get rid of the dogs of the Dow strategy. Just bring in a strategy that buys the one that's getting exited, shorts the one that comes in. It could be like a hedge fund version of Dogs of the Dow. Right. It just, I could just see someone listening to this podcast having the proper software to do the retracement of the historical returns of what I just said. You know, we're going to get an email about this, right? Right. Yeah. Be it. Maybe <laughs> Nick could put something together for us because that would be interesting to see. Um, so, uh, just, just something that's interesting that change is uh, happening here shortly. Last thing I had, Matt, was a uh, just a quick quote from John Neff. He's a, uh, a legendary uh, kind of value-oriented investor. Um, and he says, when you feel like bragging, it's probably time to sell. And Slow we've clap. gotten, we've gotten to this point so many times in so many different industries. And, you know, the, the big ones that come to mind is, um, people bragging about crypto, people uh, bragging about marijuana stocks. Now people bragging about, you know, AI. It was oil um, before that, you know, keep going down the list. Yep. Yeah. So um, and I've, I've felt it, too. Like a lot of times I stop and look in the mirror. I'm like, things feel like really, really good right now. Right. Like I have got we got a lot of confidence, like things are going well. And and that is usually like, OK, Let's take a pause here and, and, and look at the broader picture and see if there's anything that we're missing because we shouldn't feel elated um, or you shouldn't have butterflies in your stomach when you're when you're making investment decisions. It's not supposed to be this dopamine hit that so many people seek today. It's it's supposed to be about uh, rational decision making that has a, a major effect on on your future, your financial future. So. Um, thought that was a, a good quick hitter from uh, John Neff that I just wanted to share. Yeah, I think if the uh, the movements were more broad based, I'd feel more concerns of a toppiness per se. But uh, that's not the case from the technicals. Yeah. Um, all right. So big items, big market items. Since my last podcast appearance, I want to make sure I just threw out there for our listeners and viewers. They can hear it from the horse's mouth. First is it's an observation. Ready for this, Mark? You take NVIDIA's market cap, you take Microsoft's market cap, it's over four and a half trillion. Do you know that Japan's entire economic GDP output is 4.9 trillion? In addition, do you know that NVIDIA added $1 trillion of market cap in 84 days? 84 days. Crazy. 
I want you to take that in for a second. Shout out That's, to Japan, though. Japan making new all-time highs uh, for the first time in, what, 35 years, 36 years, something like that. Well, it's 80, 87, right? So yeah. how long is that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a that's a long time. And, and I yeah. think everyone's, you know, response is, well, if it could happen in Japan, it could happen in the U.S. where, you know, we don't make an all-time high for 40 years. And, yes, I totally understand that. Again, improbable in my opinion, but there's a lot of other junk going on oh, yeah. <laughs> over there. Well, um, always my, my favorite Japan analogy is everyone talks about the fiscal irresponsibility of the U.S. and our debt to GDP don't even get me started, okay? Japan is at like 240% debt to GDP. So I don't want to hear the people telling me that we can't afford, you know, deficit spending. Am I happy about it? No, but don't sit there and try to lecture me about that. Yeah, yeah. Starting to get on my on my soapbox. All right, so we talked about the Amazon and the Dow news. Uh, other thing is equity inflows over the past five weeks have totaled 75 billion. Uh, that's the strongest in two years, according to Deutsche Bank on February 26th. Okay, here we go. First piece, small cap underperformance. This is a post by our friend Seth Golden on February 14th. Um, Seth had this piece. Jenna's gonna put this up for our YouTube viewers. Mark, this is gonna be in our show notes. What it's illustrating here is that we are on the fourth longest street for the Russell 2000 small cap indexer that you highlight in our pricing um, at the top of the podcast without a new high. And um, I'm illustrating this. I'm talking about this because the performance disparity between large size stocks, let's just throw in the example of the S&P 500 indexer and the Russell 2000 small cap index, there's a big disparity right now between performance. Um, could this performance disparity continue? Yes, look at the data. You had a period back in the early 2000s where it went 1,177 consecutive trading days where the Russell didn't make a new high. Right now we're at 567. Could it go longer? Yes, but look at the data set here. We're at a period where as a listener, I'd start to kind of, get a little more sensitive to what's going on in small caps because the underperformance disparity has been so long and consistent you might want to think about that yeah next any comments yeah. before i move now no, i just think um you know if if small caps do get going um you know watch out that could that could move things quite substantially higher if everything's participating and not just a handful of names Ooh. like was said in 2023 well said all right, my next piece. I can't wait. I can't wait to see your reaction to this. So, uh, my topic of this for our listeners and viewers is future pricing model different for is going to be different for industries going forward. Here's the post. There is a uh, trader, Gergavin, um, got 373,000 X followers. Uh, he posted this: Wendy's is planning to start an AI-based dynamic pricing system, just like Uber where food item prices will change throughout the day based upon demand, time of day, and other factors. So, uh, for example, you know, everyone's going through that drive-through at noon. They want their Baconator mark. That Baconator might be seven or eight bucks, but if you win at 11.15, that bad boy might be 5.50, okay? Right. Just take a step <laughs> back. I want, I want Mark's raw comment on this. Yeah, it's... Um... It's interesting because, you know, uh, obviously Uber does this with, you know, with surge pricing and there's like 
you know, there's bars all over the country that have like a similar, like it's like a stock market based bar, right? So if like a beer is in really high demand, that beer is going to be more expensive than than other beers, right? And it, you know, the, the the beer market crashes every so often, and you can buy beer at cheaper prices and that type of thing. But um, I don't know. This is going to be interesting to see if more um, more companies start doing this. I mean, I think you could argue that this is already being done, like, you know, using the supply chain, for example, like, you know, take the trucking industry, obviously, if there's more demand for to ship goods across the country, trucking companies are going to raise their rates. I don't think that's any secret, but um, I think it's going to be more algorithmic and there's going to be, you know, AI that just determines what the price is instead of uh, instead of us having to do that manually or or having a board have to get together or, or in um, the C-suite get together and say, hey, do we have to raise prices? Do we have to lower prices? It's going to be automatically done. But kind of funny that it's it's Wendy's that's, you know, getting ahead of this trend. Yeah, getting ahead of this trend. All right. So think about other industries where this could go into effect. And the other hot take I have is how long before it starts to affect labor rates. Could you imagine a situation where it's like, hey, as a staff member, you're paid less to work during the week and more on the weekends? Think mm-hmm. about that for a second. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. A good you know, point. so you C- could start to could see, yeah, with technology, it's a lot easier to implement and track these things. So I'm sure this is a topic that's going to be coming more and more in the future. I could just see us three years down the road joking, Remember that time when I talked about Wendy's in February of 24? I'm going to say it. It's going to happen. Yeah. All right. So my next piece is uh, what you alluded to, Mark, in regards of the pace of interest rate potential cuts by the Fed. So this is a piece that was posted by the Daily Chart Book. This was posted on February 12th. Uh, Jenna will put up this image for our YouTube viewers. I would highly recommend that our traditional podcast listeners look at our show notes and all of our social media sites. What you're going to see is a piece from Ned Davis Research that shows, quote, slow pace of rate cuts have been bullish for stocks. What you're going to see is two dramatic things on this chart. One, what tends to happen to the S&P 500 index mark after the first Fed cut, and then it shows a slower cutting cycle versus a faster cutting cycle. And you know what you're going to find? The S&P performed better in slower cutting cycles. Now you take a step back, tends to make sense because when you think about it, when the Fed is lowering interest rates, listeners and viewers, they are doing it to incentivize and stimulate the economy. They're making the cost of capital cheaper. Okay, so when that happens and they're more aggressive in doing it, what is that telling you about the underlying strength of the economy? It's telling you that they're trying to push more medicine into that patient to to heal it, to get it going. And that that's a warning sign. So I think, Mark, coming full circle, if you start to see continued economic strength, you could see a slower pace of interest rate cuts when that first one happens. And guess what? That's not bearish. When you look at history. Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the things that we look at, you know, in our investment committee meeting is, you know, when the Fed pivots, what's, you know, and starts cutting, 
um, what what's the performance of the markets and the past two times obviously have been uh, or the two major times have been you know the tech bubble and the great financial crisis right and and covid and in all three of those instances those were really fast cuts that's like oh shit we have a problem the economy has a problem we need to cut rates to close to zero to stimulate the economy and that always just throws things into a tizzy right yep um so but if you look back to the 50s the 60s 70s and 80s there have been slower cuts so it's going to be interesting and and the market has done fine it looks like right so yep i think it really depends and no one knows right we could have another Correct. event where the fed's like oh my gosh we got to cut rates to one percent right and i think that would be a, a really bad thing for the long term so i think everyone's hoping that hey we're gonna gradually lower rates back to this two to three percent range over a two-year period, I could get on board with that. Um, so I, I think, like anything else, a shock to the system isn't a good thing. Um, slow, gradual change, like anything, is 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 better. Absolutely. Well, I had so much content. Uh, I'm going to have a lot more uh, next week. It was really tough to go through. Um, my my final comments before you transition to the financial planning topic of the week, Mark, I just kind of want to throw out there is just kind of know we're at with the calendar. You know, today's February 29th. We're in a leap year. I saw some data that uh, for strategies that rebalance on a monthly basis, you have another month of strong equity performance. You might see some stock weakness as people rebalance or do some selling pressure here of equities the first couple business days of March, just like you saw at the very beginning of January after that strong December. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see how the market treats any sort of sell-off. you got a lot of people on the sidelines, cash just in their fist, waiting for some entry points and i'm curious to see how the psyche at wall street is are they going to be putting that cash to work relatively quickly are they going to have quote unquote iron fist or are they going to get spooked by kind of the next correction so i'll be very uh interested uh how that goes and i'll definitely be sharing my thoughts and comments on the podcast in the months and weeks to come I no, appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, the good content and uh, looking forward to, to having you back uh, a little more regularly over the next couple months. Thanks, partner. All right. I'll All right. turn it back to you. All right. So uh, Taylor uh, Ledbetter coming back onto the podcast this week to talk about our financial planning topic of the week. Um, this topic is going to surround uh, early withdrawal rules and penalties for uh, individual retirement accounts or IRAs. So there are different rules based on uh, certain account types that you have, and there are certain exceptions in, in certain areas if you want to retire early, for example, before age 59 and a half. Um, but I want to uh, kind of turn this over to Taylor to, to dig into this a bit more because it can get quite confusing, uh, especially with some changes to the tax code over the past couple of years. So, uh, Taylor, thanks for coming back on. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, so, yeah, just going off what you said, I wanted to focus on the different penalty rules specifically for the traditional versus the Roth because they are taxed differently. So we're going to touch on that. Um, but yeah, like you just said, these penalties do depend on a few different factors. Number one is going to be the account type. 
if it's a traditional or a Roth, um, because that 10% early withdrawal penalty, the amount you would actually pay would be different from a traditional versus a Roth. Um, second, you normally have to be 59 and a half to withdraw funds, or you do incur that 10% penalty. Um, and really the only way to get around that age limit is if you do qualify for an exception, which we will cover here in a couple of minutes. Right, and that 10% penalty, Taylor, is in addition to the taxes that you would have to pay if it's coming out of a traditional IRA, for example. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's all taxed at ordinary income. So you have the ordinary income tax in addition to a 10% penalty. So it starts to add up pretty quickly, especially if you have a large, a large balance in that 401k or IRA. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and that early penalty applying to the the whole amount, it does apply to all pre-tax accounts. So like you said, the traditional IRA, 401k, um, step IRAs, rollovers, because um, again, they're all in that same tax bucket. So if you do withdraw money before you're 59 and a half and you don't qualify for one of those exceptions, you could be paying, you know, 30% or more in taxes. Right. Um, and a funky rule, I, I don't think this is talked about very often, is that simple IRAs actually have a different penalty amount. So if you withdraw money from a simple IRA within the first two years of participating in your plan, that penalty is actually 25% instead of 10%. Yeah, so that's definitely a, a big no-no, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big difference. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, and again, uh, simple IRA is a little bit more common um, at smaller employers. Um, so if, if you do fall in that camp, definitely make sure you understand the the consequences of that because 25% is a, is a big number for a penalty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one-fourth of the uh, account, basically. Yeah, yeah. So Roth IRAs, again, those are subject to the 10% penalty, but since Roth contributions are made with after-tax dollars, that penalty and the tax you would pay only applies to the, the growth on the account, not your contributions. Because um, Roth IRA contributions, they are accessible at any time for any purpose because, again, they've already been taxed. Um, but still, the that minimum age requirement applies. And another rule specifically for Roth accounts is that the contributions have to stay in the account for, or sorry, your yeah, your contributions plus the growth there's a five-year holding period to avoid that 10% penalty. Right, so that's the thing, <clears throat> you know, I've, I just had a situation come up um, earlier this week where a client was like, hey, you know, should I be contributing to a Roth? And it's like, well, you know, you're getting close to that retirement age and, you know, they, this individual does not have a Roth IRA right now, so it would be their mm -hmm. first contribution. So uh, there would be a, that five-year clock on before they can take that, let's say they max it out and contribute $8,000 if they're over 50 for mm -hmm. 2024. 
they have to wait five years until 2029 before they can take that money out. So the conversation went to, well, you know, how confident are you that you're not going to retire in the next five years? Because there's going to be a penalty if you touch the earnings on this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just for, you know, contributions. It's that one-time clock of five years, right? But the thing is Roth conversions, Taylor, are getting more and more popular where people are converting money from their their pre-tax IRA to their Roth IRA. And the caveat with that is each conversion you do has its own five-year clock. So you Mm -hmm. have to start tracking this stuff uh, to make sure that, you know, you're not touching earnings within a five-year period from a conversion that you made. So I know it's getting a little deep into the weeds. Maybe we can talk about that another time, but mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of nuances when you're talking about um, contributions, conversions to a Roth IRA and the tax consequences associated with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just going off what you said, because I've had questions too before where somebody might be about to retire, but they might want to open up a Roth IRA to have that tax-free money. And just like you said, if they're expecting to need that within five years, probably not the best idea to go down that route. Yeah. So um, next we'll just get into the exceptions to the penalty, you know, times you can take money from these two accounts and you avoid that 10%. So I'm going to go over the most common um, exceptions. Uh, The first one is that you can withdraw up to $10,000 for a first time home purchase. Um, If you need money to use for qualified education expenses, so tuition, books, room and board, that qualifies as an exception. If you become permanently disabled and you're no longer able to work um, or you have a terminal illness or if you pass, your family can withdraw money from the IRAs penalty free. You can also withdraw up to $5,000 for birth and adoption expenses. You can make a withdrawal to pay for any health care costs if your out-of-pocket medical expenses are more than 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. So only the expenses over that 7.5% is going to be exempt. Yep. And for listeners that want more information on adjusted gross income and modified adjusted gross income, I actually talked about this uh, last week at episode number 240. Um, So if you want to go back and kind of understand how AGI or adjusted gross income is calculated, go back and listen to uh, episode 40 with that financial planning topic of the week at the end of the show. Yeah, and the 7.5%, that's also going to be very similar to like the itemized deduction um, yep. where you can deduct those those healthcare costs over that amount. Um, a couple more um, common exceptions is you can withdraw money to cover any health insurance premiums if you're unemployed for at least 12 weeks. Um, National Guard members and reservists can make withdrawals without penalties after 180 days of active duty. This next one, I think this is a a newer addition or a newer exception. 
So if you're the victim of a um, of domestic abuse by a spouse or a partner, you can take the lesser of $10,000 or 50% of the account penalty free. Got it. Yeah, that's definitely a new one. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the the last, I think this one is pretty common as well, um, a 72T distribution. Essentially, what that means is that maybe you need um, 30 grand every year from your account to live off of. You would have to take that 30 grand for the greater of five years or until you turn 59 and a half, and that's going to be every single year. Um, so you can't necessarily modify that amount, but it gives you access to the income from the account without paying that 10%. Yeah, and I think, you know, we have quite a bit of experience in the 72T Taylor because we work with individuals um, that retire early. And when we say retiring early, we're talking about before age 59 and a half because that's when that 10% early withdrawal penalty goes away. So let's say, for example, you're, you know, um, 50 years old and you're comfortable with what you have and what you want to live off of with your retirement accounts. Uh, maybe your house is paid off, you don't have any debt. Uh, and you're done working. So uh, a lot of people come to us and they're like, hey, you know, if I take money out of my IRA to live the way I want to live, is it really true that I'm going to have to pay ordinary taxes and a 10% penalty all the way up till age 59 and a half? Um, and while it's kind of true, there is a way around it. And it's called these, you know, 72T equal periodic distributions rule is that you tell the IRS, hey, I'm going to take out, like you said, Taylor, $30,000 each year up until I'm age 59 and a half. Then they're like, that's fine. As long as you take $30,000 per year because the government's getting their tax revenue, mm -hmm. um, that you're able to go ahead and do that. So people can retire early without having any penalties from their account. However, if you go one year and you take $29,999 and not the 30,000 that was the stated agreed upon amount, then that's going to be a problem. And the IRS could go back several years and say, hey, you know, all of the money you've taken out is now subject to the 10% penalty. So you just, you do have to be really careful with that and make sure that you are taking the amounts you say you're going to take um, because that would be a pretty quick thing an auditor could get a hold of and say, hey, you know, now all of all of the money you've taken out over the past couple of years is subject to this 10% penalty. But um, it is a nice little workaround for people who who don't have to work until age 59 and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great option. But like you said, there's a couple downsides if you're not careful and really keeping track of what you're taking out. Yeah, yeah, a couple of gotchas in there, just kind of <laughs> like everything else with the tax code, unfortunately. But mm -hmm. um, well, thanks, Taylor, for uh, giving us some great info on that. I know that that's usually a pretty big talking point uh, with clients and prospective clients when we're talking about retirement or within a couple of years of retirement. So um, hopefully uh, people got a lot out of that. Um, 
Well, that's it for us this week. I uh, just want to remind people that uh, if anyone wants to create uh, their own podcast, please use the promo code Jessup Wealth to get your first month of Blueberry Podcast hosting for free. To choose the ideal plan for you, use the hosting estimator on their website. Again, you can receive uh, your first month free with promo code Jessup Wealth, all lowercase and no spaces. Thanks, everybody, for listening to episode 241 of the Independent Advisors podcast. We will be back with you next week for episode 242. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.